Well, last week we introduced a new study for our upcoming Sunday nights, a study on the book of Jonah. And we noted how in the very first three verses of Jonah, we get this picture of what's happening. God commissions Jonah to go to Nineveh uh, to share a, a message, a call to repentance to those people. Jonah says no, hops on a boat, and starts heading in the opposite direction, trying to get as far away from the mission of God as he possibly can by sailing to the most distant location he could find a route to. And the reason Jonah said no when God said go was because Jonah had a disdain for the Ninevites. They were the enemy nation of Israel. They were the very people that were eventually going to topple that northern kingdom of Israel. And so Jonah didn't want them to be rescued. Jonah didn't want them to be saved. And so he refused to go on the mission that God assigned him, despite the fact that he was one of God's prophets. Now Jonah thinks he's getting away. He thinks he's escaping this whole scenario, this whole assignment, this whole mission. But in reality, God isn't going to let him get away that easily. And so the first thing we discover after Jonah runs is that God sends a storm. We read about it in verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship threatened to break up. Isn't that how it goes sometimes? When we think everything is going the way we want, all of a, so all of a sudden, in comes a storm. Storms interrupt Storms get in the way. Storms cause us great difficulty. But sometimes the storms of life are really God's wake-up call for us. And that's really the case with Jonah. And the only way that a storm can truly wake us up, the only way that a storm in our life can have the impact that God intends for it to, is if we have the right focus during the storm. You see, when storms approach, when storms happen, when we encounter storms, we have a tendency to react to those storms in one of two ways. And that's what I want to focus upon tonight. I want to focus upon what we focus upon when a storm occurs. Because this, what, what the characters in the story tonight focus upon is very revealing and very impactful for the end of their stories. See, there's two ways we can react to storms. The first is we can respond to storms by focusing on a Savior. What I mean is that when storms hit, when we are facing the storms of life, one thing we can focus upon is who can save us. Who is bigger than the storm? Who can calm the storm? And what's so very interesting about this particular event in the life of Jonah is that you would expect this focus to be associated with the one who is the prophet of God. But in all actuality, this focus was the focus not of Jonah, but of the sailors. Look with me. At Jonah chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they 
hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give you a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. Now these sailors, they were experienced seafarers. I am certain that they had not only seen storms while sailing, but that they had also been in their fair share of them. I tend to agree with one preacher who speculated that they would not have set sail if there were storm clouds in the sky. In fact, it's very possible that they had had not traveled very far before the storm arose because if you skip down to verse 13 of Jonah chapter 1, you'll see that they tried to row back to dry land, which seems to imply that they weren't too terribly far from the shore. But regardless of how soon they encountered this storm after setting sail, one thing is certain. These sailors instinctively recognized that there was something about this particular storm that was supernatural or of a divine origin. Maybe it was due to the suddenness of the storm or its unusual intensity, or maybe even it was atypical of that particular time of the year. We don't know the reason that they felt this storm was particularly impressive or connected to the supernatural. Whatever that reason was, these sailors had put two and two together and determined that this storm had a divine connection. They concluded that somebody's God was angry, and that meant that these guys were focused on a spiritual solution to a spiritual matter. Think about that for a moment. It's Jonah who's the prophet of God. Jonah is the one that God had spoken to and said, I need you to go on this mission. And Jonah's running from him now. But it's these sailors who, when the storm struck, all they can think about is there's a God who's angry at someone, and we need to pacify God, whichever God it may be. Now, granted, I have to concede that their focus is not on Yahweh. Their focus is not on the one true God. They're focused on any and every God as a possibility. But what's Jonah doing? He's not focused on God at all. He's asleep in the, in the hull of the ship. He has no concern about spiritual issues right now. He's soundly sleeping in the midst of a storm. But these sailors, these pagan sailors at that, are all focused on spiritual matters at the moment. And we know that because they cried out, or another term would be that they prayed to their respective deities there in verse 5. And they cast lots to determine who was the cause of the storm in verse 7. The casting of lots was a widely used method in the ancient Near East as a means of discerning a deity's will. As one preacher said, they had a worldview that made room for the divine. And as a result, they instinctively searched for a spiritual solution to their storm problem. From their perspective, they didn't know which God needed to be pacified. So it was in their best interest to try and pacify all of them. You see, in that day and age, every nation had a particular deity. And they had this common belief, outside of Israel at least, that every god had its jurisdiction. And that jurisdiction extended to the nation's boundaries. And once you crossed 
into another deity's territory, well, that deity was in control, not your deity from your country. But right now, they're out on the open water. They're out in the middle of the sea. Which deity reigns out there in no man's land? You see, they're searching. They're searching for a God that is sovereign everywhere. They just don't know who that God is yet. And they're shocked. They're shocked to find Jonah asleep. Now, they're not surprised that he's not helping trim the sails or try to row back to shore or throw cargo off the sides or bail water out of the boat. They're not shocked that he's not helping because they understand he's not a sailor, he's cargo. But they are shocked that he's not praying. In fact, you can look, the captain of the ship woke Jonah up and said to him in verse 6, Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps he will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Isn't it interesting that instead of going below deck and asking Jonah, Why aren't you helping? The captain of this sinking ship goes down there and asks, Why aren't you praying? He's more spiritually focused in the moment than Jonah is. The sailors were focused on finding the one God that could save them at this moment. And that's why we can conclude that they were focusing on a Savior rather than a storm. And because they were focused on finding a Savior, they ultimately find Him. Before meeting Jonah, these sailors were unfamiliar with Yahweh. But the storm, which was intended to be a wake-up call for Jonah awoke within them the awareness of a God they did not know. And as a result, these sailors were ready to learn about Jonah's God. Look at the conversation that unfolds after they learn who Jonah is and, more importantly, whom he serves. It's a conversation in verses 10 and 11 of chapter 1. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to Jonah, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. When these sailors found out who the real God is via Jonah, they were exceedingly afraid. And they asked, what do we do? Does that remind you of any other biblical event? Their question, though not framed exactly the same way, calls to remembrance for me the first gospel sermon preached in Acts chapter 2. When Peter, with that audience of Jews from all over the world, stands before them and tells them who Jesus is, and their response is, what shall we do in Acts chapter 2 and verse 37? And like that audience, these sailors were not only willing to learn about the one true God, 
but they were also prepared to obey the instructions that would result in their salvation. And the instructions that Jonah gave these guys was not what they expected because he told them to throw him overboard, but they weren't ready to do that just yet because in their minds they could not separate his demise from their guilt. In their mind, throwing Jonah overboard was murder. And they didn't want to commit that sin after learning about the one true God. And so you'll see that in in verse 13, they attempt to row back to land. They're trying everything possible to avoid killing Jonah. But when they realized that was impossible, they followed through with his orders. But I want you to pay particular attention to what they did before they threw him into the sea. There in verse 14 of Jonah chapter 1. They called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. What did these sailors do before they threw Jonah overboard? They prayed. This time they didn't pray to their gods. They prayed to the Lord God. I've mentioned many times before when you see the word Lord capitalized in the text of Scripture, it's a reference to the personal name of God, that name Yahweh that he gave to Moses at the burning bush. This is the divine name. And so when it says that they called out to the Lord, all caps, it's saying they called out to Yahweh specifically, not to some random pagan deity that they've worshipped their whole life. They called out to the one true God, the God of Israel, the God whose name is Yahweh. And did you notice what they prayed? They specifically prayed for mercy. When they say, lay not on us innocent blood. And they acknowledged Yahweh's sovereignty. When they said, you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. These guys are asking for forgiveness and acknowledging God's reign. How beautiful is that, that in this moment... Guys who were praying to false gods very soon thereafter are now praying to the one true God, acknowledging who he is and asking for his mercy. And I also want you to notice what the sailors did after Jonah went into the water and those seas calmed down. You can see in verse 15 that they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Do you know what verse 16 is telling us? Is that after they followed through on the orders to dump Jonah into the water, they turned around and worshiped God, the one true God, the Lord Yahweh. They worshiped him. They made a sacrifice to him, and they made vows to him. Do you understand the significance of what just happened here? They're in turmoil. They're facing their own demise on that ship as it's attempting to sink in the waters due to a storm brought on by the 
disobedience and rebellion of one man. And now they recognize that the one who can save them, the one who can spare them in the midst of this storm, is Yahweh. And they don't just choose to pray for him and ask for his mercy. They choose to sacrifice to him, to worship him, and they choose to make a covenant with him, a vow with him. You know what we have a tendency to do? In the midst of storms, that's, that's when we start negotiating with God. That's when we start the process of saying, Lord, if you'll get me through this, then I will do this. I will pray more often. I will go back to worship services. I'll give X amount of my income to your kingdom. I'll volunteer to do this or that. I'll, I'll engage in this act of service or this act of event. We start negotiating in the middle of the storm. These guys make their vows after the storm is already over. Because at this point, they're committed to the God they just learned about. See, in the midst of their storm, they discovered their Savior. The storm played a vital role in their faith development. They learned about God because of the storm. They surrendered to God during the storm, and they worshiped God after the storm. That's what happens when you focus on your Savior rather than your storm. But I did say at the outset of this lesson that there are two ways we respond to storms. And while the first is by focusing on a Savior, the second is by focusing on the storm. And unfortunately, that's the focus Jonah chose to have. The man of God, the prophet called by God to go to Nineveh, is the one in the story who does not have the right focus. Look with me at Jonah chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. We're going to get the second part of verse 7 and read through verse 9, actually. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. That's all he said. You know what stands out to me about that? is that in this moment, at least according to the text, Jonah didn't talk to God. Let me emphasize that better. Jonah did not talk to God, but he did talk about God. Did you notice that? He did not talk to God. That's what everybody else is doing. All those other sailors are trying to communicate to their deities, but not Jonah. Not once in this story do we have a reference to Jonah praying, at least not before he enters the belly of that great fish. It's when he's swallowed by the fish and he's 
residing there for a, a, period, a lengthy period of time in chapter 2, that he finally communicates with God. But up to this point, he does not talk to God, but he does talk about God. Now, I think there's two implications from that. First, I think it shows just how much Jonah is running from Yahweh. He's trying to create distance between himself and God, or at least God's mission. One preacher pointed out that Jonah's intentional distancing from God is depicted in the text by a constant state of dissent. What he means is Jonah went down to Joppa, In verse 3, he went down into the hull of the boat. He laid down for a nap. And in an effort to appease God and calm the storm, he will be thrown down into the sea. Jonah just keeps descending, going down. And if you think about the way our relationship with God is depicted in Scripture... It's always with God above and us below. And it seems that Jonah just keeps getting further and further away from God as the story unfolds. Until he's in the depths of the sea as far as he can be from God. And since he's distancing himself from God, the last thing he really wants to do is communicate with God. Maybe that's why he never talks to God in this event. While all the other sailors are talking to their little g-gods, not once does Jonah consult his big g-god. But I also think that the fact that he is still willing to talk about God implies that even though he's rebelling, he hasn't stopped believing. See, in verse 9 he said, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. It's a very simple statement. But it's packed with some theologically significant words. In particular, Jonah indicates that the God he worships, the Lord God, the God of Israel, has no boundaries. As I mentioned earlier, in that day and age, it was not uncommon to believe that your deity, the one that your nation worshipped and served, was limited in his location. That he was only effective and only ruled where you lived. And they're out on open water. And Jonah is saying, my God reigns here too. Because he talks about Yahweh as the God who created the sea as well as the dry land. It's as if he's saying, my God made land, my God made the sea, and he made everything in both. There's nowhere my God isn't. And the reason the sea is behaving like this is because it's only trying to obey its master. And so Jonah communicates 
truth about who God is to these sailors. And he even acknowledges his own belief in Yahweh, even though he is simultaneously rebelling against Yahweh. And isn't it ironic, don't you think? Sorry. That the mission Jonah was running from was a mission to proclaim who God is to a pagan people in Nineveh. And while on the run, he finds himself proclaiming who God is to pagan people on a ship. The irony of the story is that he's doing what he was supposed to do. He's just doing it in the wrong location. And in the end, because he proclaimed that message, sailors were saved. But despite his success at leading these lost sailors to surrender to Yahweh, Jonah still refused to do the same. Look at what he said in verse 12. He instructed them to pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Now, it may well be that God had instructed him to do this, but we're not told that specifically. We're also not told why Jonah chose this route. Because here's the thing. The storm occurred because God is trying to get Jonah's attention. God is trying to summon Jonah back to the mission that God wanted him to do in the first place. And so I believe that if on the deck of that ship, Jonah had looked at those sailors and said, I have sinned, and I am repenting of that, can you take me back to shore so I can complete the mission that Yahweh gave me? I imagine that the sea would have calmed, And everyone would have made it safely back to land. All Jonah had to do was turn around right there. But Jonah didn't choose to do that. Instead of repenting and going back, Jonah chose to be thrown overboard. Jonah was in such a state of rebellion that even though he could acknowledge God's sovereignty, he would rather die than accept God's mission. It's as if in Jonah's mind there were only two options. He could stay on the boat and cause everyone to drown. That's option one. Or he could be thrown over the side of the boat and drown all by himself. That's option two. And obviously he chose the latter, but in doing so, he, as one preacher said, wasn't being heroic. He was being pathetic because he totally did not give option three a chance. And option three was to repent 
and save everyone. His decision to be thrown overboard was evidence of just how rebellious his heart had become. Jonah chose to possibly die instead of go. You've probably heard this story before, this anecdote, if you will. There was a man whose house was caught in a storm and the floodwaters were rising. He made his way to the roof where he was safe at the moment and he prayed to the Lord, Lord, please save me. The next thing he knows, a canoe comes floating by with one of his neighbors in it. And his neighbor called out and said, hey, the floodwaters are rising. Hop in and we'll paddle to dry land. The man said, no, you go ahead. I've prayed to the Lord and he's going to rescue me. So the man in the canoe goes on. A little while later, police show up in a boat. And they call out to the man and said, hey, jump in the boat. We'll take you to safety. But the man waved them off saying, I've spoken to the Lord and he's going to save me. Sometime later, an emergency helicopter flies by, lowers a ladder and instructs him to climb up so he can be saved from the rising floodwaters. But he waved them off as well saying, I've talked to God, he's going to save me. The next thing he knows, the waters are over the house. They swept him off the house, and he drowns. And when he makes it to heaven, he stands before God and says, God, I prayed to you. I believed wholeheartedly that you would save me. Why didn't you rescue me? And God's response was, I tried. I sent a canoe, a boat, and a helicopter, and you didn't get on any of them. And the moral of that story is this. Sometimes we can have the right theology, but fail to put it into practice. And that appears to be the case with Jonah. Jonah intellectually knew the right things to say, the right things to teach, and the right things to believe. But he didn't apply what he knew to himself. And that's how he ended up in the sea. And what's so very fascinating is that every being in the book of Jonah, when challenged or presented, I should say, with a word from God, obeyed. The Ninevites respond with repentance when they finally hear the message from Jonah. The sailors in this story, in this very event, when they learn about God and hear from Jonah, guess what? They respond positively and do what they ought. Even that great fish that will swallow Jonah will spit him out when commanded by the Lord. And when you get over to chapter 4 in the passage that we rarely talk about, there's this worm sent by God and the worm does exactly what God tells it to do. But the one person in this book who struggles to do what God tells them to do is Jonah. 
because he knows the right things to believe. He knows the right things to say. He knows the right things to teach. He just doesn't know how to put them in practice in his own life. And my guess is that some of us struggle with being just like Jonah. May this book, as we continue studying it, challenge us not to just have faith up here, but to have faith in here. To allow our faith and our beliefs to manifest themselves in everything we do, not just everything we say and think. This evening, the story of Jonah reminds us that every heart is capable of rebellion. But every soul is afforded salvation. In which state do you find yourself? In rebellion like Jonah? Or accepting of salvation as offered by the Lord like the sailors? This evening we extend the invitation as we do every time we gather. So that if anyone needs to respond, needs to make things right, needs to receive such salvation, they may have the opportunity to do so. If that's you, we invite you to come while together we stand and sing.